Luke 17, verse 1. And Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. On December 1st, 1997, in the rural town of West Paducah, Kentucky, 14-year-old Michael Carneal wrapped a shotgun and a rifle in a blanket, placed a loaded handgun in his backpack, and headed to Heath High School, where he attended as a freshman. His target was a group of classmates who met early at the school for prayer. Carneal approached the small group as they were praying, calmly inserted a pair of orange foam earplugs, drew the pistol from his backpack, and fired 12 rounds into the circle, moments before the first bell rang. The principal came running in after hearing the shots, and unlike most school shootings we hear about, the perpetrator quickly surrendered, laying down his handgun. In the end, eight students were shot, and three later died at the hospital from their injuries. Cornel was arrested by local police and brought into custody. They wondered what would have motivated a 14-year-old to act so maliciously against other students. After countless hours of interviews, they could still find no motive for the killing. It was a senseless and cruel act, and none of the victims had any conflict with the killer. He just came to kill. And in fact, by his own statement, he didn't even know who was in the prayer meeting until the list of names appeared in the newspaper. A senseless evil that shocked the small rural community to its core. Everyone was left asking, why? The morning after the shooting, family members and friends from the community brought flowers. Groups from local churches prayed outside the high school. The victims' families got together and produced a large homemade banner that read, We forgive you, Michael. The story made national headlines, including much discussion about their response and the morality of immediate forgiveness. A number of newspaper articles and op-ed pieces were critical, questioning if forgiveness was appropriate given that the gunman showed no remorse whatsoever. It's a good question to consider. What is our response to be in the face of such evil? Is this an example of biblical forgiveness? I mentioned in the sermon last week that everything we do as believers is to reflect the God we serve. 
we are to be visible representatives of the invisible God. This means that all of our actions and our attitudes are to be in line with who God is and what God requires of us. And how we forgive is is an essential part of this. We are to forgive as God forgives. And because our entire, the basis of our relationship is one of forgiveness, we are to be very well versed in this subject. We must know what biblical forgiveness looks like so that we can accurately represent the God who forgives. Now, I'm going to have a lot of review from last week, so if you weren't here, you are, you are in luck. Not that we believe in luck here, but I'm going to give you lots of review because I think it's very important, and repetition is a wonderful teacher. So last week I laid out three ways in which Jesus directs us to forgive, which is also how God forgives. And I pointed out that first of all, we are to forgive completely. Jesus says in Luke 17.3, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Jesus commands us to forgive those who have sinned against us completely. And I gave you a good practical explanation of what complete forgiveness looks like. It's this quote from Jay Adams that I will read to you again. Forgiveness is a promise to not remember the other person's sin by bringing it up to him, by bringing it up to others, or by bringing it up to yourself. So, forgiveness releases the other person from the debt of sin that they have against you as if he or she never sinned against you in the first place. This means that forgiveness is not based on feelings, but based on a promise. You do not need to feel like forgiving before you can forgive, nor is your forgiveness contingent upon no longer being hurt. Forgiveness is a promise that you are making to another person that you release them from any and all guilt related to their sin. And we also saw last week that this is exactly how God forgives. God forgives completely. He does not hold your sin against you. He does not broadcast your sin to others. And He does not rehearse your sin over and over again. And I stressed last week that it doesn't mean that you are to forget that the person sinned against you, but it does mean that you are choosing to no longer remember. And that is a very important distinction. And once again, God is our example in this. He says in Jeremiah 31-34, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So we know that God does not have a bad memory, but what God is saying here is, I am willing to no longer remember. Isaiah 43.25, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So, forgiveness is not based on feelings, 
It is not something you hold on to against the person. It is not something you rehearse over and over again in your mind. It is a promise to the one who has sinned against you that they have been forgiven completely. Secondly, we saw that Jesus teaches us to forgive transactionally. Luke 17, 3 again. He says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We discussed how true forgiveness requires a transaction. And true forgiveness cannot happen apart from repentance. That means that asking for forgiveness is different than offering an apology. We saw the Greek word apologia means to give a defense. And when you apologize, that is exactly what you are doing. You are giving a defense. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I didn't get much sleep last night. Do you see how there's, there's the regret there, but there's also smuggling in the excuse? This is giving a defense for your actions, but it is not working toward biblical forgiveness. Forgiveness recognizes that there is sin involved and that your sin created a rift in the relationship. And rather than apologizing where you're defending yourself in some way, you are admitting your guilt with the hopes of a restored relationship. So forgiveness requires an admission of guilt and a desire for reconciliation. Now, I made a big point about this last week, and my wife asked me later that night over dinner, so is it always wrong to apologize? And I realized I didn't make myself clear enough because I wasn't meaning to say it's never appropriate to apologize. I just wanted to make the point that an apology is not asking for forgiveness and that the two things are different. Yes, it is appropriate to ask or it is appropriate to offer an apology. For example, I'm sorry I am late. There was an accident on the freeway and traffic was backed up for miles. That is a good place for an apology. You are not admitting sin because this is a circumstance that was out of your hands, but at the same time you're offering regret for the fact that you couldn't be there on time and that your friend had to wait and so in this case, it is good to have a defense for your actions because they were not sinful. But forgiveness, on the other hand, deals with sin and there must be an admission of guilt for there to be forgiveness. If a person does not admit there is sin, they will not respond by asking for forgiveness and you cannot respond by granting forgiveness. So, be aware of this when you do sin against someone because for many years you have probably been trained to go and say you are sorry and that is different than biblical forgiveness. True forgiveness is dependent on a transaction. A transaction between two parties with the goal of reconciliation. And because we are to reflect our Heavenly Father in everything, 
we also must reflect Him in how we forgive. And just as God does not forgive apart from repentance, neither should we. Now, I think it was a very noble gesture for those families in Kentucky who were deeply hurt to forgive that school shooter, but it is not true forgiveness because he did not repent and they could not truly forgive. There was no transaction between them of forgiveness where there is a repentance which is a turning away from sin and an acknowledgement of evil and their ability to be reconciled to that person. Now, someone inevitably asks, well, what about Jesus on the cross? And Jesus says on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, we realize, I hope, that Jesus is not granting forgiveness in that statement, as if all of those who were putting Jesus to death were forgiven and absolved of their sins and going to heaven. But Jesus is asking for it as a prayer to God which is reflecting His heart toward those who sinned against Him. Jesus says we are to love our enemies and by offering or or by, by having an attitude of forgiveness toward His enemies, Jesus is showing His heart. But that is different than forgiving them. We talked about this last week, but I didn't use this term necessarily, but that's the difference between an attitudinal forgiveness, which is a desire to forgive, and a transactional forgiveness, which is true forgiveness, which is the reconciliation kind of forgiveness. So we are not to forgive others apart from repentance, But God does require that we have an attitude of forgiveness where we want reconciliation and we want to see the person restored, both to us and to God. Now, I didn't share this scripture last week, but I'm going to share it here because I think Jesus teaches it very clearly in Mark 11, 24 and 25. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So notice this, this is not transactional forgiveness. This is a forgiveness before God where you, before God, are offering forgiveness to that person so that your relationship with God is not affected. So that you keep that channel clear with God so that when you go to God in prayer, you are not harboring anger or resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness. And that's going to taint and ruin your relationship to God. So Jesus is saying, before you go to worship, before you go to God in prayer, you need to make sure things are right in a vertical direction. Now, that's not the same thing. I hope 
That's evident. That's not the same thing as reconciliation with the person who sinned against you. That is just keeping things as clearly and cleanly as possible with God who sees your heart. You still have not reconciled with the one who sinned because there has not been confession and there has not been repentance. Both of those are necessary because true forgiveness is transactional. And once your heart is right in this way, when the person does come to their senses and returns to you and asks for forgiveness, you are already ready to forgive them. I mean, you've dealt with God on this subject. You've been praying for this to happen. It's like someone mentioned last week after the sermon, the father in the story of the prodigal son. You remember the father? The son returns to his father. He says, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to beg him for a job. I've wasted my life. I'm sorry. I sinned against heaven. His returning is a picture of repentance. And what is the attitude of the father? He is watching. He is waiting. When he sees his son coming in repentance, he runs to him. So, That becomes the transaction when the son returns. But prior to that, we see the father had an attitude of forgiveness. If you don't have this attitude of forgiveness to someone, the person might come to you later in repentance. And you might not be willing to grant them them forgiveness. I mean, you might be holding on to that and, and thinking about it over and over and over. You know how we do that? And you're becoming bitter, and that bitterness is just seeping into you like poison. And the person finally shows his face humbled and repentant, and you know what? And you say, I'm not ready to forgive you. Or I need a little more time. Or I need to think about this some more. It should not be that way. Because if it is that way, that's reflecting that things are not right with you and God. So, we are to forgive as God forgives, which is completely, which is transactionally, and thirdly, which is repeatedly. And I think this is the true focus by this teaching of Jesus here, I think this is the point that He really wants to impress upon His disciples is that forgiveness is not only to be complete and it's not only to be transactional, but it is to be repeated. Notice, He says in verse 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, there are many things that God requires of us that are not easy. Have you noticed that? Mm hmm. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says if someone strikes you on the cheek, imagine someone walking up and slapping you across the face. 
He says, turn to them the other one. He says, if someone orders you to do something for them, do more than they require. Go the extra mile. He says you are to bless those who curse you. He says you are to do good to those who use you. He says you are to love your enemies. And I think what Jesus requires of us here is among the most difficult. He says you are to forgive as God forgives, and that means you are forgiving others a lot. A lot. In fact, you can tell this is a difficult teaching based on how Jesus introduces it. I don't have it on the screen, but if you look in verse 3, how does it start? Pay attention to yourselves. In other words, this is really important. You're not going to want to do this. This is not going to appeal to the flesh. It is not going to come naturally. Watch yourselves. So I think he's preparing them for a very difficult teaching. And you can see how difficult it is based on how the disciples react to it. Look at verse 5 in your Bible. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, if you don't give us more faith, there's no way we're going to be able to do that kind of forgiveness. This is a teaching that is going to stretch you and make you feel like you are unable to complete it without something additional given to you by God. That's the response. Now, by nature, you and I have limits to the forgiveness we are willing to grant. Wouldn't you say that we have limits We might be happy to forgive someone of a small sin, but the larger the sin, the more difficult it gets to forgive them. Right? Limits. Similarly, we might be willing to forgive someone the first time, but how much more difficult is it the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time? We have limits to our forgiveness, And Jesus says here, we are to have no limits. No limits. Now, he says, if someone sins against you seven times in the day, I hope you realize Jesus is using seven as a representative number. I hope you realize seven is symbolic, meaning a lot, a lot, a lot of times. I hope you realize that he's not saying if the eighth time rolls around, you can give him the Heisman, right? That's not only unlike the character of God, whom we represent, but it is unlike anything Jesus teaches elsewhere. Look in Matthew 18. 18.21, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter thinks he's being super generous. Seven times? Whoa, who heard of that ever? 
Three times and you're out of here. I'm not even talking to you anymore. Seven times Peter thinks he's going to be praised. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or if you have the King James Version, 70 times seven. So even if Jesus is being absolutely literal here, and you do not believe in this kind of symbolic expression, it at least obligates you to forgive the same person 77 times, or if you're reading from the King James Version, 490 times. There's a textual variant there in the original language. It's either 77 or it's, it's 490, but I think you get the point. It is a lot. Now, I'm okay if you come to me and you need to be forgiven. I'm okay with that. I probably even feel good about myself forgiving you. But you come to me a second time and a third time, ah, things start to get a little shaky. And maybe you can relate to that. And I think partly the reason we feel that way is because we live in a world where we are accustomed to retribution. The law says an eye for an eye. And in our hearts, we love law by nature. We love retribution. Ever since you're a little toddler, that's not fair. So, retribution says, you did this to me, I'm doing this to you. You wronged me this way, I'm going to get you back this way. And even if there is any kind of mercy involved where you are going to be a forgiving kind of person, it's a limited kind of mercy. Maybe you've heard this expression, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. In other words, I'll forgive you the first time, but it's to my shame if you do it again to me. That's the way the world thinks. And so we live in the world. That's the air we breathe. These messages are being communicated. They're so common, we just assume that they're true, and we may even repeat them ourselves. And this is what makes the teaching of Jesus so radical it's, like, it's unlike anything that would come naturally to us. It rubs against everything within us as far as how we think about retribution and what is fair. And here he says, you are to do it again and again and again. No shame. Now, seven times. Forgiving someone seven times. I mean, that's a lot. Maybe I could conceive of that in a marriage. Maybe I can conceive of that in a long-term friendship. But look what he says. Seven times in the day. This is someone who has sinned against you, who has repented, has come and sought reconciliation with you, 
multiple times in the same 24-hour period. Now, I've read some commentators on this, and some of them say, well, it can't mean the, the person's committing the same sin because Jesus says if they repent, forgive them. And this would demonstrate that it was not true repentance. Okay, so that's their line of argumentation. If they repent, forgive them seven times in the same day, it must not be the same sin because then they would not have repented in the first place. Now, I'm, I question that because, first of all, Jesus does not specify what the sin is. He doesn't say whether it's the same sin or whether it's a different sin. He just says, if he sins against you. This leads me to think he could be talking about the same sin. He could be talking about a different sin. But whatever the sin is, is not the point. The point is that this is about you as a disciple and your approach to someone who sins against you. I don't think Jesus is concerned here about what the sin is. It's about what your heart is like when someone comes to you again and again and asks for forgiveness. Remember, we are to forgive as God forgives. And how does God forgive? Repeatedly. How many times does God forgive you? He forgives you over and 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 over times 10,000. And so I ask you who sins over and over and over and over, have you ever sinned against God and repented before God and sinned the same day, the same sin that you'd already repented of? Don't have to show me hands. You can nod in your heart. Have you ever been angry at someone and you catch yourself fomenting on the inside with this ungodliness that is unlovely and you realize it and you say, oh, Father, please forgive me for that unrighteous sin. It is a sin against you. Please forgive me, Lord. Please. And then that same day, you're thinking about it again and you're getting all angry inside again. And you have to confess it again. The same sin on the same day. This might happen to you when you offer or, or you grant forgiveness to someone. You might say, I forgive you Thank you for repenting and acknowledging your sin and you go off and you keep getting angry about it in your heart and you keep having to confess that to God because now the sin has been transferred to you and you have to deal with it because you want to be forgiving and yet you have a heart that is broken. So, I disagree with these commentators. I think it could be talking about the same sin. Maybe I'm the only one who experiences that. 
maybe I'm the only one who needs to be forgiven of the same sin on the same day after I already repented of it one time. And guess what God does when someone confesses their sin and repents on the same day? He forgives. He forgives you. You come to him again, he forgives you again. You come to him again, he forgives you again. Does that mean your repentance was false? No. It just means we have to repent a lot. You could truly repent. I hate this sin. I want to be away from this sin. God, forgive me of this sin. And we are so sinful that we just go and get tripped up and do it again. But the point in all of this is, we are to forgive as God forgives. So we must be ready to forgive others based on their promise of repentance multiple times in the same day. Same sin, different sin. Don't think it matters. We are to forgive and keep on forgiving. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 5.1. We're studying Ephesians right now. We're just about to land on these verses in our Wednesday night study. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children, as beloved children. How do we imitate God when it comes to forgiveness? How has God in Christ forgiven you? He has forgiven you repeatedly. Now, there's one more observation about this verse and the frequency mentioned here. Notice, seven times in the day does not allow you the luxury of waiting to see a person's repentance. Whether it's the same sin they're coming back or different sins. It would be one thing if Jesus said seven times in a week, And so you could be sinned against on Tuesday and you think, he says he repents, I'm going to give him a couple days before I forgive him and make sure I see some fruits of repentance. I'm going to keep an eye on my friend here and see if he's really, really feels bad about what he did and is really repentant. But Jesus says seven times in the same day, which communicates to me that you are giving a promise of forgiveness that is not based on the other person's behavior. I'm going to say it again. You are forgiving, and that forgiveness is not based on the other person's changed behavior. Seven times in a day does not give you an opportunity to examine their lifestyle and see if they really are repentant. 
And I hope you realize, beloved, all of this is about how God forgives. Like you and I represent God in this way. You are to forgive as God forgives, and God forgives completely. He forgives transactionally. He forgives repeatedly. Now, these Christians I told you about in Paducah, Kentucky, endured a great loss. They were plundered of their loved ones by a senseless, evil act. And I imagine, and I hope their hearts were in the right place, where they wanted to forgive this young man. They wanted to be a witness to the world that God is so amazing that He has given them the ability to forgive. And even in the midst of their greatest pain, they could forgive. And I personally can't imagine responding so quickly, even with an attitude of forgiveness, having my heart so torn from me to have a child killed in this way. And yet, I think many of their critics were right. I think many of their critics had a more biblical understanding of forgiveness. We are not to forgive others if there is not repentance. We forgive them before God. We forgive them in secret so that our relationship with God is not hindered, so that our worship to God is pure, so that we do not grow bitter and hardened by sin. We release them in heaven's eyes and we long for reconciliation so we can have a transaction of forgiveness. But we cannot and we must not offer forgiveness without repentance because it requires a transaction and a transaction requires their repentance. Father, we, uh, we want to do Your will in this. We want to honor You in everything and we want to honor You when it comes to forgiving others. Please help us do which is so difficult, Lord. And yet help us also to recognize that just as we have been forgiven, which is completely, which is transactionally, which is repeatedly, we are to forgive others. And so, Lord, may this same attitude be in us that was in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.